Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol serves as chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, also executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we come to you every week on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And in just a few minutes, we're going to uh, welcome a guest that we have had on before, and she's in that small category of guests we love bringing back, Carol Birch, an attorney who is a specialist in elder law. And elder law attorneys, there's not a lot of them. Very important topic, and I can't think of anyone I admire more than Carol Birch. Now, you recently were in Washington, D.C. for your National Council on Aging board meeting. Yes. What happened? Well, you know, it's a new year, and we have a new administration, so I think we had a a lot of discussion on on planning, you know, what are the needs of caregivers uh, in this country, and what are the ongoing needs of older persons, and you know, looking for putting, you know, somewhere you you have to say, this is my stake in the ground. These are the people that I care about, and we're going to go work for them. I like that. And do you all lobby on Capitol Hill for legislation? Um, nonprofits don't lobby. Um, obviously, we have policy. Yeah, educate the elected officials on issues, particularly for seniors who are struggling. And struggling can mean financially. It can mean you know, social isolation, it can mean, you know, health issues. Um, So, you know, there are a variety of reasons why an older person might find themselves, you know, in a, you know, kind of feeling backed into a corner. And uh, with a a lot of confusion and lack of decisions on health care and the future of uh, Medicaid and Medicare and what that's going to look like, Uh, lots of things in Washington that uh, have balls in the air. Right, and a lot of people don't realize how much Medicare, uh, how many Medicare regs are tied in with the Affordable Care Act. So when you're hearing the discussion on health care, know that it's not just the people on the exchanges, the younger population that's got insurance, that that, that that law has reach into Medicare as well, and you should follow that conversation. Now, one of the things that uh, I've known you for a long time, you love robots, and you've got the latest on robots. I do have. I found several things on robots, so it was kind of a bonus week um, this week. So one of them was, it was an article uh, that I got from an international association, and they were just asking about the acceptance of robots, which we've talked about, and it depends on who you ask. So when they, they talk to older adults with Alzheimer's disease, who they have a little a little service robot that would remind them time to go to the bathroom, time to wash your hands, time to take your medicines. And the older adults, were they were open to the idea of assistance from the robot and thought it would be helpful, but they didn't really want one. They didn't really uh. want a robot. But the caregivers are like, now this is a good idea. <laughs> so the caregivers were might be, they were a little bit more uh, amenable to the idea of having a robot also 
about um, than in this particular survey. That's not always the case. I mean, because the second article that I found from the New York Times, which was actually uh, quite a long one, was just talking about robots and robot-like technology, and they're testing it in retirement communities for seniors to see, do they like it? So, you know, they, they, some of them are, have robotic limbs, robotic arms, robotic legs for people that have lost use of their limbs, and they're testing that out. Um, but the one that I found the most interesting was you probably now have seen the commercial for some of the virtual technology um, games. I know there's one on the TV yeah, the where, the games, young, yeah. where the younger person has got, you know, in virtual technologies, you put on the goggles and it puts you in the world that's in the goggles. Right. It's like you're there. Um, and so there's one that's a younger person who's got the goggles and the older man is like, hey, I'd like to see those. And so they, they gave these virtual technology goggles to a, a, a person in a retirement community. And obviously he's living in a nursing home. Um, he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have good health. And he was a chef in Berlin at one point in his life. And so they gave him his restaurant. He was able to, through virtual technology, walk around in the restaurant he worked in in his youth as a young man. It's still there. Read the menu, go into the kitchen, wow. check out the change in decor. And it was like he was there. And he was so excited to be able to, A, you know, go to some place he had been before and see what was it like now, um, and B, but with virtual technology, you can also go back. So you're, you know, walking down the Chicago streets in 19, you know, 42 uh, during the war, and, you know, what was it like there? Maybe you grew up there. So for people with Alzheimer's who are stuck in a particular time period, then they have the ability to use virtual technology for mental stimulation to engage with their environment that isn't really there. What a great idea. So I just thought that that was, you know, fascinating, um, you know, thinking about what the future could be. And then there was a, a they were talking about, you know, the help, help bots, you know, the care bots. They're saying in the next five years, they're going to have robots that can wash dishes, do laundry and clean the house. OK, I just want that. I don't care. It, it's not for my relatives that I, I'm caring for. I'll just take that robot. Thank you very much. If the Jetsons robot, Rosie the robot, is ready to clean my house, I'm, you know, beyond just the little vacuum cleaner that runs around, I'm there. We'll talk more about robots in a minute. I want to remind you, if you just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host. We'll be talking with Carol Birch, elder law attorney, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, you mentioned the robot that will remind someone time to go to the bathroom. Uh, aged versus young. We just purchased, we have twin boys, as you know, and a little girl, five. The boys are three and a half. One is potty trained, Carter. Kennedy is not. We bought him a potty watch. He's all excited. So now he knows It'll what to do. ding when it's ding, time to go. yay, now it's time to go. Well, you're talking about technology that works, you know, of different ages. The the article, the one thing I did think was funny for, you know, they had some Brookdale residents. Um, you know that when you know when you ride the log ride at an amusement park and you get soaked? Some yes. amusement parks have body dryers so that you go and it just blows you, you know, dries out your clothes and now you're ready to go on with the rest of your day. They, they tried to put a body dryer in a, in a residential care facility. You know, you get the bath and now instead of towel drying you and patting you <laughs> down, we can just 
let blow all the water off of you. None of the residents would go near it. Well, you can imagine, I'm sure the noise is an issue, but that was a technology that sounded like a good thing, and people love it in amusement parks, hated it in the nursing home. Interesting. So, anyway, so battery-powered technology, more to come. More coming. More coming. Not less, more. You've done, done a little research on books for us. The best eight books on caregiving. Well, this was the this was a list that came out from Caring.com of the eight best books in caregiving for 2016 last year. I have not read all of them, so I cannot, you know, tell you uh, if one's better than the other. You know, I, I would love to have all of these, uh, you know, authors come and well, we'll talk with us them. about their, their different books. And some of them we have had on Caregiver SOS on air. So um, if you go to caring.com, and you can look for this list in case you don't have something to write on. Um, but these are not ranked in order. But, you know, eight best books, cruising through caregiving, reducing the stress. So if you think that sounds good, that's Jennifer Fitzpatrick. And, I, and I'm going to skip around here. The person we have had on the show was Barry Jacobs and Julia uh, Mayer, AARP Meditations for Caregivers. Yeah, we had Barry on. So we had Barry on. It's practical, you know, emotional and spiritual support for you and your family. So Barry Jacobs and AARP Meditations. Um, Don't Stop the Music, Finding the Joy in Caregiving. So that's Nancy Weckworth. Uh, You know, so Don't Stop the Music is the... Uh, caregiving title you're looking for and then um, one that a disease that doesn't get a lot of airplay everything you need to know about caregiving for parkinson's disease so parkinson's disease and that's leanna marie um and and then if you're looking for more like a maury and me kind of a a book mama peaches and me Ah. mama peaches and me wit and wisdom for uh worn out caregivers and that's Christopher Charles Cheney. So I think if you remember Mama Peaches and Me, I have a feeling that you're going to find it. Uh, uh, so just look for it. Go to caring.com, and you can find you know eight books on caregiving that you might enjoy. And finally, you've got, and you teased me before we went on the air, hey, Ron, just ask me about surprising news. All right, here's the surprising news of the week. Did you know in a new study that eating super hot chili peppers extends your life? They followed 16,000 Americans for 23 years. And the people who ate really hot chili peppers, um, and I'm trying to look at the name because I know there's a bunch of different levels of peppers. Um, The ones that ate the really hot peppers, their mortality rate was 21% compared to 33% of those who didn't eat hot chili peppers. Wow. And has something to do with, um, A, fighting cancer and tumors, B, giving you better Uh. digestion, um, and C, fighting cholesterol, and you're keeping your metabolism to break down fat. So if you like hot food, which I don't, I better go get, I better toughen up. I got to go get some sriracha chili peppers um, because you're going to live longer. Well, we have serrano peppers almost every day in, in my little household. Well, you're going to have to kick it up even hotter than that. Wow. Ghost peppers. Not ghost peppers, but they're the, Go for the ghost peppers. sriracha peppers. Those are the hot ones? So yeah, the sriracha peppers. Yeah, but I mean, that was a that's a big, I mean, it, it may not sound 21%, 33%. That's, that's pretty, a big difference. That's a pretty big gap. Um, and, and finding that it's multiple reasons that the peppers are, 
you know, working. A lot of people think, oh, well, the peppers are going to give me indigestion as opposed to it's good for my digestion. So I don't know if it gives you indigestion. That can be a problem. But I don't know. Maybe there's a one of those take before you eat it kinds of things that and can also help. Maybe psychological. And it may be psychological. But I, I there's a, a one of our caregiver specialists, Gloria Miranda. I'll give a shout out to her. She can never get her food hot enough. She's always asked for the hottest peppers in the house when we go to a restaurant. Really. And so far they haven't been able to give her anything that she thought was hot enough. So I sent her this article and I said, Well, obviously you are going to live longer than me. You know who can not even. Eat eat a jalapeno. I know in many Chinese restaurants, if you try the hot mustard, uh, sometimes it's really hot. It's really super, super yes. hot. Yeah, really super hot. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk with Carol Birch in just a moment, a elder law attorney who joins us. The law offices of Carol Birch PC is where you find her. She has spoken to our Caregiver Summit and has been on Caregiver SOS on air in the past, and we're looking forward to talking to her. That's right. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, it is so nice when we promise we're going to have a special guest in. We actually do. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And Carol Birch of the law offices of Carol Birch PC has been with us before, an elder law specialist, and we have enjoyed talking with her in the past. She has also presented at the annual Caregiver Summit for the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And Carol, she's on our list of favorite guests. That's right. I would call her one of our greatest hits. Um, so it's it's nice to have you back. <laughs> it's been too long. We, well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's interesting because just a week ago we were talking with a guest whose mom had passed away in Florida, and we were talking about long-distance caregiving, and he mentioned in the course of a conversation that he had tried several years ago with his siblings and his parents to get them to sit down and do the kind of necessary paperwork and planning that would have eased what turned out to be a lot of stress and tension after his dad and then his mom died. And the answer was, we don't need to do that yet. You probably hear a lot of that. Ron, it's never too early. Never. The minute you turn 18, you should get your paperwork in order. And what is that paperwork? Well, for sure, your financial power of attorney, your medical power of attorney, and your will, your directive to physicians, which a lot of people call a living will. And and those documents uh, can be prepared uh, off the Internet, or should you use an attorney? What a great question, Ron. (laughs) 
Um, you can do your medical power of attorney and your directive to physicians off the internet. That's okay. I really want you to do your financial power of attorney and your will through a lawyer. I think that makes the most sense. Um, because? When, well, it's kind of like giving yourself a haircut. Some people can do that, <laughs> and and it turns out okay. And some folks, um, it doesn't turn out okay. You really ought to see a professional. Well, or, or any haircut. I'm thinking of haircuts I gave my son. I mean, you, son, you shouldn't be doing legal documents, wills for your parents, not just yourself. I mean... Right, you know, unless you're a lawyer. The, yes, the, the whole family. And then you have a conflict, so you got to be careful doing it for a relative. Well, um, the actually, the state bar or the disciplinary rules allow a lawyer to inherit something if they're doing the will for a relative. But if I'm doing a will for someone like uh, Carol, say, and I put in a provision that I get something, that's going to be void. That would be a no-no. That would be a no-no. So don't let your lawyer make uh, gifts to himself in the will. The other thing our guest uh, <laughs> commented on was, uh, and he had no idea, uh, he gets a phone call and documents in the mail. His mother goes in the hospital, and it turns out he was uh, named as her medical power of attorney and her financial power of attorney. He had no idea. Oh, that's sad. That was a shockeroonie. Yes. Yeah. Surprise. You know, it would. It's By the really, way, mom's in the ICU. What do you want to do? <laughs> it's more polite to <laughs> to let your agent know when you're appointing them. Um, polite is the the nicest way I can say it. It's really mean not to let that person know because how is that person going to know what your wishes are if you've never even informed them that they're going to be acting for you? Right. And, you know, my, my great aunt, who's 95, and I've talked about her before, you know, she's been so wonderful because she's a social worker and she originally had my mother um, listed to take care of her, you know, powers of attorney. And then when my mother got Alzheimer's disease, she called my sister and she called me. I want to divide this between the two of you. This is what it means. Are you willing to do it? I mean, it was a great conversation. And she's never been afraid to, you know, to address the tough questions. Wow. She's quite a woman. It, it, and it was really helpful because, you know, are you comfortable with this? And, you know, and she explained, you know, and we all agreed, yes, well, this is the time to do it uh, because she's got mother's name on all the documents. And she realized that that just wasn't going to be possible anymore. Exactly. How did you end up in a specialty in elder law? Well, I got really lucky. I <laughs> I did. It's a great the, answer. I, it's the best place for me. It's the perfect place for me. I love my clients. I love what I do. Um, it's very gratifying. It's rewarding. I just really got lucky. But something had to lead you into Yeah, this. like were you sitting at a desk and they said, here, talk to this older woman? <laughs> <laughs> no. When you, were, when you were, you know, doing your, whatever you do in law school, clerking. No, no. Actually, I was out of law school. I had practiced for four years doing plaintiff's employment law, so representing employees. And uh, that got to be a little too stressful. Um, you and my friend Melinda Gall, who is a great plaintiff's lawyer in employment law. That is exactly right. I love Melinda. She was an early mentor of mine. Oh, that's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there you are doing you're Doing stressful law, other and, kinds and of law. And you're not very happy because you're dealing with people who've been fired or discriminated against on the job. Uh, and they've got nothing, and they come to you and say, help me, Carol. 
That is true. That is true. And, and, you know, there was help for them and we could do a good job, but litigation takes a special kind of person. And that's not me. So you could have gone into real estate, you could have gone into corporate, but you went into elder law. You're making us pull teeth here, Carol. (laughs) Because there's a story here. There's a story I don't want to share on the radio. Okay. So there was right. a, there was an you know <laughs> there was an epiphany. There was an yeah there was something happened in her life is that you know as a gerontologist I can identify with that where you know all of a sudden you realize this is your path and I, you know, I can remember one of the sisters sisters of charity and the incarnate word you know practically arm wrestling me to get me to get a degree in social work and and because I was limiting myself to working with seniors and I said that's what I want to do I mean I knew it I just knew that you know working with youth was not going to be my thing so mm-hmm. you know once you once I realized that I wanted to work with seniors there was just no going back well at Trinity that's she true. became a uh, a, a part-time caregiver for an older gentleman here uh, who needed help and she'd go grocery shopping with him and provide that kind of assistance you were pretty young to be doing that no but that's what i say i i found my my thing you know not in time to do it in undergraduate but by graduate school i guess i had figured it out there you go well i'll back off i just love good stories <laughs> back off Ron. so the ship landed in the backyard <laughs> <laughs> That's so, sort of how it happened. They came down. They said, you will do elder law. <laughs> and when you went into elder law, there weren't a lot of lawyers doing it. That is the truth. And, and they're still not. They're still not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are lawyers who claim they do elder law, but they don't devote themselves to elders. So how do you know if you're trying to pick somebody then? Uh, call Carol Birch. But if you live in another city and we're heard all over the country and our pat- podcasts go everywhere... Uh, how do you know how to find an elder law attorney who knows what they're doing? The easiest way is to go to the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys website, and that is naela.com or .org or both, and uh, uh, click on the button that says Find a Lawyer. And, and that, I have done that. I have actually done that for a relative that lived in another state where I needed to get in touch with an attorney oh, that lived cool. in his state. Um, and I had limited choices. And I think I talked to three people. Um, and then the one I like, you know, that I mm-hmm. kind of got a good vibe from, that was the one that we went with. You're yeah. listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 930 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerdale. We're talking with attorney Carol Birch, who is a specialist in elder law. Share with us some of the anecdotal stories you can about uh, clients who came to you who, had they done something earlier, might have been less difficult, and those who did things earlier and life worked out great. Well, the ones whose lives worked out great don't stick in my mind because the ones whose lives didn't work out are so sad and tragic. Um, One I remember really distinctly was a woman whose husband had cancer, and he had cancer for two years, but he just could not bring himself to accept that it was terminal. And so by the time she finally convinced him to let me come see him, I came and saw him on a Friday, and we went over his will, and he had two children from a different marriage, and they were estranged, so you know how this is going to turn out. Never easy. He died on Sunday. Before he signed the will. I did not get the documents done in time. Right. And so... Not your fault. She waited two years. (laughs) That's right. So poor wife 
was stuck owning their house. Half of their house was hers, and the other half, his half, because it was community property, Siblings. belonged to these two sons who she didn't know where they were. They had relatively common names, and she didn't really want to search for them. So when she told me she couldn't find them, I think that was half because she didn't want to find them and half because it was hard to find them. Yeah, John but, Smith and Jay Smith. It's yes. very hard to find. That's true. And there she was, stuck owning the house. And she couldn't sell the house because these two guys who she didn't know were owners. She couldn't get a clear title. She couldn't get clear title. What did you do? Well, we had to go to court and do an airship determination and get in two witnesses who would testify that these two sons were his sons and that he was married to her at the time. And then we had to search for the guys. They turn up? Well, at that point, she decided she wasn't going to sell the house because she just washed her hands of it. And as far as I know, she's still living in the house still right there, now that she only house. owns half of, making payments on a house she wow. only owns half of. That's tough. Yeah. How would you have avoided that? I would have admitted I was going to die before the Sunday that I died. And then what would you have done? Done as a will. Lawyer? Done a will right away. And he didn't have to leave anything to them, but he'd have to have specified in a will. He needed to specify it in a will. And in Texas, an oral will uh, no good. cannot be... No more oral wills since, I think, 2013. We can't but, Your Honor, he told wills. me he didn't want the kids to get anything. <laughs> no He's good. like, that's a fine story there, <laughs> young man. <laughs> so get it in writing. Get it in writing. And preferably, don't write it out yourself. Preferably use a lawyer who knows the words to use. Wow. Tell us another one, because I know you got a million of these stories. Okay. I'll do it in a minute. I say, getting, after, after the I'm break. i people pointing at me. I know. You're listening to care. I, my water cup is in the way. I can't see the clock. You're listening to Caregiver SOS. It's a personal problem, I know. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Carol Birch, attorney, our very special guest, along with Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron, talking about elder law. Well, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You'll hear this program over the air Sundays at 6 p.m. Right before this program comes WellMet Radio with Dr. Robin Eikoff and moi. And then you can also hear this show on podcast, available if you go to caregiversos.org. You can hear all of the shows that we have done, including today's with Attorney Carol Birch, a specialist in elder law. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. As the former head of the AAA Area Agency on Aging here in Bear County, Carol, uh, you must have seen lots of situations where had, but for an elder law attorney, things would have turned out differently. Well, we actually had a legal assistance program where we could help seniors identify an attorney to help get their affairs in order because it's that important. Um, and this probably is one of the most important topics that we could possibly cover because, 
you know, without, you know, just thinking of other family members, you know, getting that, you were talking about it, didn't have enough time to get the documents in order. Well, what about the times that they waited too long for someone to sign a document? My mother had Alzheimer's and we barely got her signature where you could ask her, do you know what you're signing and what's your name? And she knew what she was doing. But you can, if you wait too late, then you can't prepare the documents if someone loses capacity. Absolutely. And that's what sometimes people don't realize. They come to me and they say, I need to do a power of attorney for my mom. And, uh, and I ask them a few questions. And it turns out, no, mom hasn't recognized us for years. Well, it's too late. Mom has to have capacity to do a power of attorney. You can go to court and have the court uh, through a uh, guardianship. series of, yes, guardianship, uh, have someone declared as their guardian. Uh, but that's timely and expensive it is very expensive and it's just not worth it if you could do a power of attorney for a low amount of money why would you want to bring in a bunch of lawyers even if you use a lawyer for the power of attorney you're still not paying nearly as much as when you're bringing in a bunch of lawyers to do a guardianship in the courthouse and the worst thing about the guardianship is the court oversight which is good because it's protecting the vulnerable person but it's onerous when you're just trying to take care of your loved one and the court is making you do things in a very procedural way, formal way. Right. So it's not just you and your mom anymore. It's you, your mom, and the judge. You're all doing this together. Exactly. <laughs> now, when, when you decide, okay, we need a will, uh, what should you do before you go to see the elder law attorney uh, to have that will prepared? What makes it easier for you and for the family to get that will put together? Well, one thing to think about is who should be the executor. Which that's, means? That's the person who wraps things up, makes sure that the will gets carried out. For the deceased. For the decedent, exactly, the, the person who's died. And we don't just want one executor, but we want an alternate and even a second alternate. So thinking ahead as to who is in your family or who are your friends who might be able to serve is important. And in terms of who that person should be as an executor, some people pick a bank, for example. Yes. If you have enough money, a corporate executor is great. But uh, if, you, if you've got sort of a middle-class estate, uh, maybe you've got 200000 in resources, you're probably not going to utilize a bank. Because the cost will eat it up. The cost will eat it up. Their minimum charge will be, here in Texas, we don't charge as much for uh, probates as some states do. But, for example, the minimum fee for a bank in Texas to do a probate is probably $10,000. And in other states? Well, in other states, the attorney's fees can be a percentage of the estate. We don't do that so much in wow. Texas. So if you're paying the executor 10000 minimum fee and then you're paying the lawyer some percentage of the estate, you're looking Starts at something pretty expensive. Right. And then, and, and to avoid some of the all, you know, to, to line it up in advance is less expensive than doing all of it. Absolutely. Doing it in advance always saves money. And if you own a house, uh, putting the party you want the house to go to on the deed, does that solve the problem, or do you still need them in the will and you need to go through probate? 
Well, I don't recommend that you put someone on a deed because if you do, then you've given part of the ownership of the house to that person. And let's say that you transferred the house to your kids so that you could avoid probate. Well, you know, your kid is wonderful and would never do anything, but that woman he married. That's right. Just kicked you out of your own home. Exactly. Exactly. You know, in-laws are not to be trusted. Have you seen that happen? In-laws not being trusted? No, people thrown out of their own homes. Because <laughs> they deeded We've their all home. Seen. They're deeded, they've deeded the property and it didn't turn out the way they thought. Yes, we actually had a case like that. And um, it ended up in litigation, so we didn't handle the litigation part. We referred it to another lawyer. But daughter and mom did not uh, end up getting along. And one deeded it elsewhere? No, uh, ma- daughter said, Mom, I don't want you here anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. See, that's why you need an attorney to take care of those things that knows what they're doing. Other issues that you ought to take a look at when you are, are preparing the kind of elder law documents that you need. I think it's really important to think about the skill set of the persons you're appointing. You're not going to just appoint your oldest son to be your medical agent, for example. You want to appoint someone who can be your advocate and really be assertive for you with the medical providers, for example. And in contrast, you don't necessarily need that kind of person to be your financial agent. You need someone who can balance his checkbook to be your financial agent. Uh, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, uh, with whom we do WellMed Radio, has often said uh, she prefers when it's not a close family member who has the medical power of attorney uh, because many of them don't want to make the decision that often Mm -hmm. needs to be made. Let's hang in there. Mom is coming back. It's too soon. Don't want to. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I can see her preference. I think that from my perspective, it's a hard job. And there's not that many people who are willing to do a hard job for someone who isn't family. Um, Because making that decision, I'm the medical agent for a man who doesn't have any family, for my client who doesn't have any family. And it's a. It's a responsibility that weighs on you. Right. Sure. Right. And that would be a very good friend of yours or a business person or somebody. I mean, yeah, asking somebody, and, and that goes back to what I was talking about, asking somebody, making sure they understand that this is, you know, it could be a tough decision when it comes down to it, but you want somebody who's going to represent your wishes. When push comes to shove, they don't do what's right for themselves. They do what's right, your wishes. Exactly. Now, when it comes to a will, we hear all kinds of things like living trusts and living wills, uh, people who want to change their will, people who discover, oops, I forgot I've been married and have kids hanging out there. <laughs> can you change a will? <laughs> yes, you can change a will. You can also change a living trust. You can also revoke a living will. So there's you, all your documents are revocable. What are the differences between living trust, living will, and will? Okay, definitely important. Living will is just a document that says what kind of care you want at the end of life. So it has nothing to do with distributing your estate. A trust and a will are similar in that they both can distribute your estate after your death. 
trust actually allows someone to manage your estate if you become incapacitated when a will doesn't. You have to use a power of attorney and a will together or a trust by itself. And if you're trying to avoid uh, estate taxes, if you're in that tax bracket where there would be estate taxes, how do you do that? Well, first you get $5 million because the estate tax exemption amount is $5.49 million right now. Which I don't have to worry about. I, most people don't, I, you know, is, is right. probably the truth. But you hear a lot about it. You hear As a lot about it. As if it's a big it. issue, right. It, I think it's wishful thinking. People want to be in the estate tax bracket, but um, I actually don't handle taxable estates. Uh, I refer those to a lawyer who is more f- uh, familiar with tax law. Uh, and so anyone who's got $5 million or more... Should not call me. <laughs> <laughs> but that reminds but you, me... But you might want to be their friend. <laughs> yeah, definitely be their <laughs> friend. Go out for dinner or something. <laughs> now, if people want to call you and... and before they retain you, can they chit-chat with you about issues? It's always well, a tough one for a lawyer. Um, gosh, chit-chatting with a lawyer. It's like Carol when that she sounds expensive. shopped for a, Well, but I told them, I, I considered those billable hours that I wanted to talk to them. Ah, I had to okay. make sure the geography worked because we're talking about a relative in a small rural community, and I'm calling people in the nearest town and so I'm like, you know, I'm willing to pay for this. I just want to talk well, that's and, cool. and make sure that we're going to be on the same page. So I didn't I did not just talk. I made an appointment. Good. <laughs> that sounds really good to my and lawyer you like that. ears. Right. Yeah. Now you're a sole practitioner. I am. Uh, you prefer that? I guess you do because it's what you're doing. Well, I have two paralegals who work for me and an admin assistant, so I'm not by myself. There's people around, which is nice. You're not rambling around nice. in an office alone. Yes, so I like that. Um, you know, working with another lawyer, being a partner, is like entering into a marriage. And um, so far, I've only had one marriage. And that's enough for you. It's <laughs> It's a happy, happy marriage. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Mine is too, but I had a few trials <laughs> before this. So only teaches you what you really prefer and, and how to behave. Right? And how to behave. <laughs> well, is there anything that we haven't asked you um, get in, your our, phone in our remaining minute besides your phone number? Any, any last minute, last words of advice and then your phone number and your website? If you it's have one. never too soon. It's never too soon. Do I sound desperate? Well, I think because you've seen what happens when people don't take that step to prepare the needed documents that is true that is true it's really do it at sooner rather than later and give us your phone number it's 210-892-4555 210-892-4555 that's it and no salesman will call if we call that number right? that is right and if people want to come see you they make an appointment it's best to make an appointment carol your last shot Anything uh, else? You know, I just say take her advice. It's not too soon and do consult a professional. Absolutely. Thank you, Carol Birch. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you all. And for Carol Zerniel, we're going to turn in just a moment to take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. 
What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. At the end of each of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we bring you Take 10, a chance for Dr. Jamie Heisman, who joins us, a nationally known psychotherapist, an expert on uh, not only caregiving, but addictions as well, and Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and me, Ron Aaron. We toss around an issue and debate it between the three of us. Today, we're going to take a look at (laughs) life's uncertainties. Well, we were talking before the show, and and one of the um, sayings, Jamie, that you really kind of put into the popular lexicon is this idea of take your oxygen first. You know, the airplane metaphor for caregiving, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people because you don't have enough time otherwise. Um, And so continuing your airplane metaphor, unexpected events, that's the turbulence along the way. When you're cruising along, high altitude, and everything is smooth, and all of a sudden, it's clear air, you can't see it, and the plane starts rocking all over the place, and it's very uncomfortable. So dealing... Go ahead. No, you're so right. Uh, I'm so sorry to step on that, because you, you probably can elaborate for our listeners even more, but you know, we have to understand that caregiving really, again, in the cliche word, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That things are going to change and often change for the worse. And Murphy's Law probably and, and caregiving is, is pretty synonymous. And really, if we're going to roll with the punches, and that's, I guess, what we need to understand is if we're going to manage the situation of change, and sometimes it's, it's you know, a smile, and sometimes it's great darkness. Um, the only thing we can do is be on two feet. The only thing we can do is to take care of ourselves and have a mind-body uh, social sort of strategy for ourselves. And the reason being that uh, if you are blown by the winds of change and are on one leg, as I've often you know, said in our, our seminars, um, you'll, you'll blow over. And so if your two feet are on the ground, then the winds of change come especially like a martial arts position, uh, it's much more difficult to, to actually be blown over. In fact, you may well be on a very balanced place that you could think of different things and think of different ways to approach what's happening. Well, how do you anticipate the unanticipatable? Your caregiving. I mean, that's, that's to me, <laughs> the actual right. defini- definition. I mean, managing stress and the underappreciated family giver and you know, the, the things that are happening with our, our primary family that, that are so challenging because of old sort of tapes that rise up and family of origin issues. These are all sort of things that long before we become a caregiver, um, really, we should know are part and parcel with caregiving. So we do know that caregiving and change 
and and ups and downs are all fairly uh, synonymous. Well, you know, I would propose that caregivers may be able to learn to be more flexible. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, my own life at, you know, at a young age, if you'd caught me in my 20s, pretty rigid, pretty inflexible. Um, And as I have gone on through life, I've had to realize that I don't control everything. I don't have control of everything. And I've had to sometimes, you know, consciously make an effort to to let those things go, to have that flexibility and let it be okay to not be in control and have things happen. Yes. That's, and, I mean, you, know, you can learn we can that. First you... enter into that world, I believe, is to find ourselves a support group. Um, to me, the support group is the, is the predecessor to taking care of ourselves because often we don't know how to take care of ourselves, but we'll find people in that support group that will assist us and show us the contrast of before and after. And um, to, to me, you know, there is nothing more beneficial, more educational. And because of the isolation of being the new smoking, if you will, or the cancer of the caregiver's soul, it serves a lot of different purposes if we're going to manage the ups and downs or the darkness that may come. Right. We had a, a guest on the show last week that was talking about, you know, working with his family as siblings um, through, you know, the death of a, of his mother. But I was thinking about, for some of us, you know, our our first level of support can be the family. Sometimes it can, the family can be the last place that you want to go. They're not supporting, you're not supporting each other at all. But that can be a first place is for all of you to get together and say, we're going to get through this together. We're going to work together. Um, but it has to be, it, you need that from somewhere. If you're not getting it from family, then you do need to find friends, a formal support group that can help prop you up when those heavy winds are blowing. Being unappreciated is also, again, so much a characteristic of being a caregiver. So you're so right when you say that. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air Take 10, which comes to you at the end of each of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs. We come to you on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, and me, Ron Aaron, and we're delighted to have you with us. We're talking about when life throws uncertainties and change and abrupt changes, of course, at you. How do you deal with it? Uh, in a time when lots of folks, especially caregivers and seniors, Often seniors are the ones who are both giving and receiving care, uh, face an uncertainty about what's going to happen with the health care system in our country. Uh, out of our control, we can do nothing about it, Jamie. How do you handle that? Well, that is a great example and a very current and timely one. You know, consistency is something that, that seniors desperately really need. Um, caregivers can get used to the fact that it's going to be ups and downs and low tides and high tides. But if you're suffering from a chronic or terminal illness, you know, you want your caregiver to be on two feet. You want them to be consistent. You want your government, if you will, to be very mindful of the fact that um, health care is a real personal issue and that you want them to have provisions long before um, they, that something happens so that you, you're not scared to death that you're going to lose your health care. This is exactly um, what's really going on from a psychological standpoint. I'm going to stay away from the politics of it, but I am going to say that um, if we're not consistent as a society and if we're not actually just making sure that everybody feels that there is, is, is stability, um, well, you see what's happening now. Um, really, chaos breaks out. 
Well, and and I think a lot of this, you know, it's uncertainty, and then it's also financial. I mean, I can I have listened to my father um, when my mother was in the hospital and going through the hospital bills and what's covered and what's not covered, and it's confusing, and the money piece is stressful, and 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 money issues can place a, unexpected financial events. You know, I think are probably some of the most difficult to deal with. Uh, because that can be a finite resource in any family. And, as well, you, and we find this out now that the and boomers obviously are not prepared. I'm sorry, Ron. What were you no, I, I was going to ask you, we, we take a look at uh, 10,000 or so people turn 65 every day across this country, boomers uh, moving through the system. Many will have coverage under Medicare, but funding for Medicare now seems to be somewhat threatened. Uh, it, it's an age of uncertainty where does the money come from for individuals who are in it right now? Well, there's a little consolation in me being, you know, just a social worker and, and clinician talking to you on a radio show. But I will, I will tell you that I don't believe in any way, shape, or form from my government relations background that the current Medicare recipients won't be grandfathered in. Uh, there's no, you know, that type of change is, is absolutely drastic, if you can imagine that. And I think that things, uh, certainly boomers, if you will, um, and that's anybody born between 48 and 1964, um, and who are not receiving Medicare at the time may have a different bent on it. So those who have Medicare, I, I'm certain will grandfather through, um, but we do need to look for stability, and we do look, need to look for security for those who are following. I mean, disease knows no financial or, or chronological sort of of, uh, of of certainties, and people can get ill at 55 like they can at 75. So you're right, Ron. I mean, uh, the people today, I think, will, will grandfather in, but we do still have to provide stability for the boomers coming up. So, you know, you, you talked about a support group uh, for it, it to help get both feet on the ground to help face these unexpected events. Is there anything else we as caregivers can do to help us kind of uh, weather storms? Well, I, I definitely think there's a lot of things. I think, number one, weathering a storm with a therapist is all preferable to weathering the storm in isolation. Uh, Medicare pays for therapy. I'm sure you know we WellMed, uh, you know, or, Med, or Medicare Advantage plans pay for therapy. Be very, very mindful that you do not have to do this alone. Certainly, a therapist may not be the first thing on somebody's list, and that's where good friends may come in. But I don't think there's any substitute for having a safe place to be able to cry, to be able to laugh, to be able to get directions, to be able to deal with this fear of. A lack of consistency. So yes, I, I do believe we also need to find respite for ourselves and a, and a way out. And I think we need to involve, um, you know, faith-based settings or, or groups already where our loved ones are connected with to be part of the answer. To, you know, get that that cape off of us and, and stop being the superhero and realize we are basically quarterbacks of a, of a large team of our own choosing. Got to stop you right there. Back in the phone booth, take the cape off. Thank you very much, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. This is Caregiver SOS on Air, Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air, 
on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer.